It's good to see you. Good to be in God's house. And I don't know about you, but I love Pastor Connie's jokes. That is so great. I mean, I, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Uh, we're going to get into the Word of God in just a few moments, but I just want to take a, a moment and uh, I just want to take some time and, and just pray uh, for um, a need, a little bit of Israel for sure. Um, but uh, I just, we recently heard, and I, I understand that he has a, a deep connection here through Kids Camp through the the years that um, Pastor Danny, Dan, I believe it's Rogie, uh, has passed away suddenly. And I understand that I may be uh, telling you for the first time, and I apologize for that. Uh, I did hear on um, through a public post uh, from their church, at New Life in Milton, and he has been battling with cancer for quite some time. And as soon as last Sunday, he, pre- he was in his church, sitting on a stool, preaching. And uh, I'm not exactly sure with all the details, so uh, I don't want to act like I, I do know all the details. And I, I didn't know him personally, but I understand that he's a close friend of many of you and uh, that you have close relation with him. And so I just wanted to take some time to pray for his wife, Natalie and his extended family and his church. Um, that's something I think Warden has a bit of sensitivity for, I'm sure. Oh, so, um, let's just pray together, amen? Father, life, Lord, is sometimes feels full of tragedy. And Lord, uh, we're inundated right now with the news, Lord, of hearing a loss of life, needless lives lost in the Middle East. That breaks our heart. And I know it breaks yours. And then to hear of this uh, report of your faithful servant, Lord. And so we, we lift up Natalie today. Lord, I don't know her personally, but we serve a God who somehow can have a personal relationship with all the people of this world. And you can speak to her heart so intimately today. Lord, and you can speak to the heart and the life of the church and new life in Milton. And I just pray, oh God, that you would uh, be there. I know you are. Oh God, your word tells us that you're the God of all comfort the God of all peace. And Lord Jesus, even as I prepare to preach this series, Lord, and talk about how you are better in every way, Lord, we're reminded that you have prepared a better eternity for us. We have a better inheritance because of you. And today, oh God, we could be giving the news of someone who doesn't know you have passed away. And so today, oh God, we thank you that you have taken one of your own. And that we have this blessed hope and that this is not the end. So Father, thank you for the blessing of his life. I know, oh God, I just believe in legacy, Lord Jesus. I, I, I know just from talking from a few short people that he's had deep effect on people's life, even here in this church, oh God, and that he has left 
people that he's been discipling, and I just believe that his ministry will continue on through the power of the Holy Spirit and those that he has shaped. And Lord, it's been a prayer of my life, oh God, that the people that I get to mentor, the people that I have influenced with, Lord, would far exceed anything that I ever do in ministry, oh God, for your kingdom. And I'm sure that that was his prayer as well. So Father, again, be with Natalie and his family. Bless them, encourage them. Give them peace today knowing that you are in control. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Again, I apologize if I was the first person that told you that news today. I understand the shock that's involved with something like that. Um, but I, I felt I wanted to take some time just pray for the family this morning. Um, yeah. I'm thankful. This, this sermon, since I heard that news, has taken on a whole different life for me. Because <laughs> thinking, and we're going to get into one of the weeks, we're going to talk a little bit about a better eternity. I'm looking forward to that. Today I want to look at the idea of better as a whole in Hebrews. Um, and just my whole thought process behind this sermon series is that I just want to get across the message, and it's, it's going to sound very simple, but it's something that we just need to get into our system, is that Jesus is better in every way. You're going to hear that phrase a lot over the next six weeks. Jesus is better in every way. In the first series, first sermon in this series, we're just going to be talking about this word better and we're going to talk about how it relates today in society, but also how I believe the author of Hebrews intended it to come across. And so Hebrews, of course, is aptly named because the letter uh, is believed to have been written to Jewish Christians who were struggling with following back into old patterns, to old ways, into the old law. And they were struggling in this. Now, I'm not going to get into all this about the debate about who wrote Hebrews. Some believe it was Paul, some believe it was others, and, but definitively across uh, academic lines, nobody really can definitively say who had written Hebrews. It, uh, you can get into literary style and all that, but, but just know today that it was an author uh, who believed in Jesus and he was writing to the Hebrew believers. Um, as such today, the Hebrew, in, the author of Hebrews is endeavoring uh, quite successfully to convince readers that Jesus and the new covenant is better in every way than what, he had come, that what had, than what had come before. He asserts the superiority of Jesus in relation to angels, to the prophets, to the old lawgivers, to the priests of old, to the sacrifices of old, and to the ways of old in general. Uh, he came to provide a better way, a better hope, and a better eternity. Praise God. Our society... Societal understanding, can you maybe bring me down just a bit? I just feel like it's a bit loud in the house, maybe. A societal understanding of better is a little different than our idea of better in Hebrews. And I kind of want to focus on that this morning, um, the differences. But I recently came across this list that illustrates the differences. And it's called How to Better Yourself. It's 15 tips to improve yourself every day. Now, I'm not saying this, to, I'm not making light of this list. It's a good list. If you want to follow some of these things on this list, I'm, I guarantee you that you'll improve your everyday life. It was written by Elizabeth Perry. She's part of Better Up. Uh, you may not know Better Up as a whole, but uh, uh, 
Dr. Adam Grant is the organizational psychologist and chairman of Better Up Center of Purpose, and that may be a name that you're more familiar with. You, you see memes and, not memes, but posts online a lot of times, and he gives great advice and, and uh, instructional statements that people repost quite often. He's quite popular on social media. But the list is how to better yourself, 15 tips to improve your life every day. So first one is make time for rest. Uh, it's something that we tend to learn a little later in life, right? I mean, when I was, I was convinced when I was in college that I, you know, could go on four hours. And I could, I guess, to a degree, but I realize now that that was not true. And it's definitely not true today. <laughs> uh, they tell us to read more books. I would say that's good. I would say choose your books wisely. But if you read more books, if you read more, and you're, you're filling yourself with more information, I think that's a good thing. Start a gratitude process is number three. Be thankful. Be thankful. <laughs> we just came through Thanksgiving, but we're reminded this morning to be thankful, you know, for everything, for your loved ones, for the blessings of God. Amen? Learn a new language. Whew. I know English, I know Newfoundlandese, and I, and I kind of know some French. I know un petit peu French, and I'm sure that many of you will teach me some German as, as, we, as we come along here. And other, other, other I, I met a lady this morning that has Cantonese as her first language, so I mean, I love Toronto for that reason. And uh, I'm inspired to learn a language, but I'm not good at it. I don't know if you've ever heard French with a Newfie accent, it's not pretty. Number five is try meditation. Uh, now obviously, that's a loaded word, but uh, I, I, in, in this realm of, of understanding Scripture and meditating on the Word of God, I cannot express the value in this. Now, I wouldn't recommend, you know, if you're going to thank God on Thanksgiving, don't do it after the big dinner because you're going to be meditating in the recliner and you'll be like, oh, thank you. You know, choose your times for meditation. Um, I tried getting up really early when I was in Bible college, I thought I was going to be that guy, you know, get up at five o'clock just to do my, my uh, devotions and take time to meditate. And boy, I did a lot of sleeping. I did very little meditating because remember, four hours of sleep. I didn't take number one, make more time for rest on this list seriously. Write in the journal. You've heard me talk about how important that is. I think on paper much better than I do uh, out loud sometimes. Um, Nourish yourself with healthy food. Still working on that. Add more movement to your life. Still working on that. Um, practice kindness towards others. This is one that I, this is a mantra with my children. I just want my kids to be kind. I want my family to be kind. I just think kindness and mercy changes the world. Spend more time outdoors. Firm believer, that's a good one. Uh, develop a list of goals. I mean, this is just loaded. I don't have time to get into all the values of goals, but, you know, if you want to do something, write it down. Write it down, plan it, work towards it. Work to improve your fear of failure. Whoo! That's tough, right? Ever want to branch out into a new job, do something, you feel God's telling you to do it, you know because you've taken the time to get to know his voice and he's telling you to do something, but you know that's a jump. It feels like a jump for you. Got to work on our fear of failure. Limit activities that drain you. Underestimated, but so important. Figure out what you're good at. Try and spend as much time as you can at that. And uh, you know what? 
I'm learning, one thing I've learned over the years, delegation is powerful. Get other people, and you just saw an example of that this morning. There's so much that my wife does way better than me, and I'm so thankful that you are gracious enough to, to allow us to, to work together here at Warden and with our amazing staff. And I don't know if you, like, if you notice the bumper and, and all these graphics, I know we, we have a, a, a communications and a social media person, Fadzi, and uh, she just does an amazing job. Like, this is all her work, and I'm so, I'm so proud of her and thankful for her. Yeah, go ahead. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward. I love people who have different skills that I don't, and, and if I did that, trust me, I would be trained. Um, practice saying no to assert your boundaries. It's a tough one too, right? This is good stuff, right? Like I said, I want you to understand I'm not bashing this list. I'm just kind of giving you an idea of what it means to be, uh, of society's understanding of what it means to be better. Uh, and the last one, she says, do the inner work. And that's a bigger thing. That's actually a trademarked word, uh, meaning decision-making, you know, focusing on spiritual wellness, self-awareness, um, and even doing some work with a life coach. But I'm not going to get into all that today. But the epistle of Hebrews uh, teaches us that in order to be the best version of ourselves, we need to understand, first of all, who Jesus is. There's a lot of, of things out there that's going to teach you to try and figure out who you are. But if we don't begin with Jesus, the creator, the one who, who knits you together, then we're not starting in the right place. And I think Hebrews gets us back to that right place. He is better in every way. He is superior, as it says in the NIV. The NIV is the only one that uses that, that particular word. The author of Hebrews sets out to establish Jesus' superiority immediately. In, verses, uh, in the first four verses in chapter 1, uh, he sets the tone for the entire epistle in such an amazing way. And I just want to read these four verses for you this morning and, and just, just meditate on these for you. Let's practice what we just spoke of. Meditate on these words as I'm saying them and follow along in your scriptures as well. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 to 4 says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Father, thank you for this word. I thank you for this epistle of God that we can read. This letter we can read, Lord Jesus, and be encouraged and grow in a deeper understanding of who you are. And so, Father, I just pray, O oh God, that as I communicate your word this morning, that you would give me clarity of thought and speech, that you'd help me to function in the anointing you place on my life to do this, Lord Jesus, and that you would open our hearts and challenge us, Lord, to receive and apply to our lives your word today. We give you precedence, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the word translated by the NIV as superior here in the Greek is actually a, the Greek word krison, which it, and it comes from another Greek word kratos, which means strong. At the root word of it all means strong. 
And it's used 12 times in the epistle of Hebrews and is most often translated as the word better. Now, the King James Version in verse 4 says it this way. It says, being made so much better. They say that instead of superior. So much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. When paired with the Greek words malin, uh, which translate as more, and Paulo, which translates as much, it can be translated far better, better by far, more excellent, and in, as I mentioned before, in the NIV it translates as superior. Here, and throughout the first few chapters, the author highlights the work of the prophets, angels, the lawgivers, and so on, in so doing emphasizes how Jesus is the, the superior prophet. He is superior to the angels, and he has provided an answer to the law. Sometimes we, make, uh, we can misrepresent Scripture by not focusing on certain words in their scriptural context. So I think it is beneficial to explore the use of the term better as it's used in society today in contrast to how it is used in Hebrews when referring to Jesus as being far better. So the first thing I want to focus on this morning is that better is more than simply different. Better, as we understand it in Hebrews, is more than just being simply different. The prophets in the Old Testament spoke differently and with different purposes and intentions, but the words of Christ are more than simply different in presentation than the prophets' words. They are better. They are the words of the Son of God. They are the words of the living God. Christ spoke fully, he spoke decisively, he spoke finally, and he spoke perfectly. We're going to spend some time in one of these sermons talking about how uh, Christ's blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That's a whole big thing. I'm not going to get too much into that right now. But his word speaks louder. It speaks more fully, decisively, finally, and perfectly. Better than the prophets ever did. He was the realization of the prophecies. We don't understand just how much of the prophecies. You can go to Zechariah, you can go to Micah, you can go through all through the Psalms, you can go through all through the Torah, you can go through all through the, New the Old Testament and find prophecies that spoke of one who was coming who would be better. And the author here in Hebrew, Hebrews in these first four verses gets right to the point. The prophets and the patriarchs spoke a powerful word, but it was not the final word. The words spoken by Jesus are the words of the Son of God. And the, the author here explains what that means. He says, they are the heir of all things. He is the heir of all things. Now we need to understand that an heir is different than a hired person. When you own something, when you own land... And especially in the Hebrew culture, when you refer to the heir, you're telling everybody that whatever I own, he owns in the Hebrew culture. Everything that God has created is, is the son of God's. And in fact, the scripture tells us in Colossians that it is by him and through him all things are created and he sustains all things. He also says that he made the universe. These are big, bold statements. These are not statements you'll ever hear reference to when referring to the prophets. He is the heir of all things. He made the universe. 
He is the radiance of God's glory. The, the Greek word here, uh, I think it's pronounced apagasma, means shining forth, reflecting brightness. But this is the part I like, the idea of being engulfed in the light of Christ, in the glory of God. He goes on and, and doubles down on that and says that he is the exact representation of his being. The Greek word is actually, see, uh, character. That's actually how it's, 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 it's spelled, it's how it's said, it's, it's kind of cool. He is the exact character of God. It's a reference to a stamp or an impression as on a coin or a seal. All the features of the image correspond respectively with those of the image producing it. And we see Jesus kind of hint at this even in the Gospels when, when he was questioned and says, you know, do you give taxes to Caesar? Do you remember that account? And he says, give me a denarius. Why did he want a denarius? Because it had an image on it. It had something that was imprinted on it. It was the face of Caesar. And I just imagine him looking at it, looking at the image. He says, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. What image is he talking about when he's saying, give to God what's God's? It's the image of God imprinted on you. It's the reflected glory of God in you. You were created in the image of the living God. You are that important to him. You have his image imprinted on you. But it says here that Jesus was the exact representation of his being. He was God. These are big, bold statements. He says that he sustains all things by his powerful word. <laughs> I don't know about you. I try to sustain things all the time by my word. It doesn't always work. You know, as a father with our children, we know that sometimes we try to make things happen with our words and it doesn't always work. And we try to fix things by saying more words. <laughs> but he sustains things by his powerful word. The word here is dunamis, which means miraculously powerful. It means supernatural power. And it says that he provided purifications for sins. No prophet had that possibility in their realm of understanding. He provided purification for sins. Only the sinless sacrifice of the Son of God could do that. <coughs> and praise God, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Where another scripture tells us that he intercedes on our behalf. Praise God. He is more than just different than the prophets. He is better in every way. This passage, as I said earlier, sets a tone for the whole epistle. Now, Raymond Brown says it this way. He says, Ezekiel portrayed the glory of God, but Christ reflected it. Isaiah expanded the nature of God as holy, righteous, and merciful, but Christ manifested it. Jeremiah described the power of God, but Christ displayed it. He far surpassed the best of the prophets of earlier times. When Jesus is described as better, it's not a reference to being different. That would be reducing him to a preference. It is impossible to read the first four verses of this epistle and deduce that the author is describing his preference. And this is what leads to my next point, is that better is more than an affection for. To feel like something is better is more than an affection for. We get this confused all the time in society. 
If I bring up the topic of what should go on a pizza, some of you all get in your feelings. And yes, pineapple does belong on pizza. It does. It's sweet and glorious. And if you add a little bit of spice to it, it's wonderful. I'm just saying. Sweet and spicy is good. It's a good bus. Hop on. Coke or Pepsi? If I asked which one drinks this and that, I'd be right down in the middle. I don't drink none of the nonsense. Car brands. Some of you are very loyal to your cars. And which one you should drive. I heard a, a podcast today of somebody who grew up in Detroit, and he said back in the 80s when he would walk to school, it was a normal experience to see a pillar of black smoke in the parking lot of uh, one of the domestic car. <laughs> because if you rode an imported car onto that parking lot and you drove it, they would catch it on fire. People are very loyal to their cars. <laughs> Music. Whew. That's subjective, isn't it? We all have opinions about what music is better than this and what music is better than that, and we all think that country's terrible. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I can't, I can't say that. We're planning, actually planning the trap, trip to Nashville, and as a Tennessee Titans fan, I can't say country music's terrible. And plus, I grew up on old bluegrass gospel, and a lot of that speaks to my heart. So I'm just saying, there's a lot of polarizing things that, that we think are better, but it's more, more of the fact that we have an affection for. Sports teams are, are exactly that. I mean, sometimes you can look at, and there's always one there, they say the cream rises to the top. You know, you see the interviews in the, in the, the locker rooms, you know, they go on and on about why this one's better and what all the the things they say that you just know is going to come out of their mouth, you know. There's always a better team. There's always a best team. But people will argue and, and just get in fights. I mean, I went to a Buffalo Bills versus Tennessee Titans game, and I was walking out of the game after it was done, and I'm looking at the poor Tennessee Titans fan with a bloody nose because somebody got very affectionate with him about his affection for the, the Buffalo Bills. And I'm just like, oh, man, don't come into someone's else's house and just start that kind of stuff. What are you doing? Better is more than an affection for. We confuse better as a whole as with better in part. In other words, we focus on specific elements of something that are better instead of the whole. We may say that we like a certain YMCA better than another one, but what we really mean is that we just like the big pool they have better than the other one. We use better predominantly in a relative way. It's relative to our perspective, to our biases, because we have shifting standards. We do not have a standard for a perfect pizza. And some of you all would probably argue that. Well, you haven't been to this place on such and such a street. We don't have a standard for a perfect pizza, a perfect drink, a perfect car, a perfect sports team. We don't have a standard to determine whether or not something is genuinely better. We need a standard. When we say Jesus is better, it is an absolute statement. He is the standard. When we say Jesus is better, he's the standard. He is far better, more excellent. He is superior. The prophets spoke what he told them to say. He spoke for himself. The angels are ministering spirits who function as messengers. And I bring them up because the back half of chapter 1 talks about how Jesus is more superior to the angels. Because there's a belief back in the ancient Hebrew history 
in the New Testament time called Gnosticism where they believed in worshiping the angels and they believed that Jesus was the lowest of the hierarchy of angels and that that's what he was. And, and, the, and the Hebrew author here is saying, no, that's not true. He's not an angel. He's bigger and better than the angels. He's superior to the angels. The angels are ministering spirits who function as messengers. He is the message. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Moses was an imperfect lawgiver. Jesus came to perfect the law by fulfilling it. He's perfectly God and man. He lived a sinless life. We, created, we create and invent things all the time. Humanity is flat and remarkable. But he created creativity. He is creativity. So when you look at that beautiful stained glass window and you say, how does somebody ever do that? They can do it because God placed the creative ability within them to do it. And he gave them the colors to use. We are amazed by great thinkers. He gave us our ability to think and even cynically. So when you're debating with someone who believes something different to you, you understand that God gave them the ability to think that way and that he can use that way of thinking to get them where he needs to get them. Because it's the Holy Spirit who draws, not your wise-sounding arguments. Trust me, I've tried. I like the whole debating element of it. I love to be able to sit down. I would love to, to have been... Uh, you know, at the Council of Arapagus with Paul and, and debating with the Greek philosophers. Uh, and I would have been there, you know, when he pointed out the monument to an unknown God. I'd be like, ooh, that's a good point. I love, I, I'm, my, ask my wife, when it comes to arguing, I'm ready to go. And a lot of times, you know, I'll, I'll get these, these arguments built up in myself. And I'm a, very analytical, so I anal I'll analyze the argument nine ways from whatever, you know, before I even start the argument. And, I, and sometimes I brought up stuff to my wife that I was upset about, and she didn't even know, she wasn't even on the same planet as what I was talking about. And I'm looking at her, and she's like looking blank, and I'm ready to go. Ever feel that way, husbands, wives? Anybody else in analytical with me? I had to learn, and trust me, when I say learn, that's a loaded word. I had to learn that I needed to start talking to my wife earlier. And when I started to get frustrated, before I started formulating my big arguments and fine-sounding arguments, I had to tell my wife a couple of days before, you know, I'm starting to get frustrated with this. And, you know, and in a couple of days, I'm going to want to have a conversation about it. So get ready. Then she goes on vacation. <laughs> well, you've got to ask the boss now. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But it's, it's, I think it's been helpful in our marriage, Correct. I mean, there's been times when I was a kid, when I was, I'm going to say I was a kid, I was 20-something years old, we got married at 22, I think, 21, 22, and I mean, there was times where I would just come in the room, I'm frustrated, someone, and blah, 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 blah. that's all my wife heard, and I look at her, glazed over her eyes, I'm going to bed now, and we'd have a conversation with the next day, but I didn't sleep much, because I'm ready to go. Understand that God gives you your ability to be cynical. So if you have questions about Scripture, you have questions about God, ask the questions. We invite the questions. We want you to ask the questions. That may be how you learn. Right? I'll have the conversation with you. I'd be glad to have the conversation with you. You may be here today for the first time hearing the gospel, and you're like, well, the Bible is contrary to science. Well, I'd love to talk to you about that. But that's another sermon. God gives us our ability to think 
Oh, what a beautiful ability it is. We are amazed by great thinkers. He gave us our ability to think. He is omniscient. We are amazed by people's strength, but he is omnipotent. He is God all-powerful. We love to explore what he has created, but he is omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. He knows the distinct details. He understands the capillary reaction that happens when when roots go down into the ground and pulls water from the soil up to the top parts of the plant so that the whole plant is nourished. He created that whole system. He created your blood to clot, which is amazing in and of itself, so that when you get a cut, you begin to heal. I don't know about you. I get I told you I'm a biology nerd. I love this stuff. I'm amazed at the creativity of God. He is everywhere. He, he, he understands everything. We breathe because he breathed life. That's something to meditate about. We forgive because he forgave. We love because he loved first. We rise because he rose first. Hallelujah. We will have eternal life because he is life. We are not Christian because we prefer Christ. We are Christian because he is the Christ. He is the perfect prophet. He is the perfect priest. He is the perfect teacher. He is the perfect mediator. He is the perfect sacrifice. He is the perfect savior, healer, baptizer, and soon coming king. You have it written on your wall. Warden, full gospel assembly. That's it right there in those four phrases. Savior, healer, baptizer, and soon coming king. He is perfect in every way. The best of the created is nowhere near or even close to who Jesus is. The absolute best, the most intelligent mind, the brightest mind, the most creative and and remarkable architect are nowhere close to the creativity and, and the faculties of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Thirdly, he is better is ideally understood as fulfillment, not abolition. The new covenant does not abolish the old. It fulfills it. This is something we're going to expound on a little bit more as we get into this study. Matthew 5, 17 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Better in society today inherently suggests that there is competition. Christ is not in competition with us for anything. That is the beauty of serving God. It it is come as you are. There is nothing you can earn. To compete with God is a losing battle. If you could, I would tell you to go ask Job. Ask anybody who argued with God. Go ask David. He's got 70, I believe, psalms where he seems like he's arguing or lamenting or frustrated with God and questioning God. Go ask the people of the past you question God. I would have to go back and ask my, my past self a little bit, Adenheims. How has it been, Pete, when you questioned God and you were frustrated with the past? Well, you know what? It didn't work out very well for me. But better in society inherently, you know, assumes competition. But Jesus has come as you are. 
There is nothing you can earn. We can only be sons and daughters of God, of the God who creates, because he also redeems. And you've got to understand that all because he created us doesn't mean he had to redeem us. These two words need to be spoken together more often. Because we, we get this entitled feeling like we, we, we deserve redemption. And God, yes, puts an implicit desire in us for justice. And I, I, would, I would recommend you listen to that. But all because he created us does not mean he has to redeem us. He loves us. That is why he brought redemption. That is why. We cannot live up to the standards required to provide the sacrifice Christ provided. There's nothing we could do, which is why his sacrifice was necessary, which is why it was better. It was so much better. It was so much more excellent. It was superior. This is why we need to understand that the new covenant is not in competition with the old covenant. It is a better covenant as it fulfills the old. It breaks through the relationship barrier that separated us from his presence. The new covenant, through the sacrifice of God's one and only Son, Jesus, sealed by the promised Holy Spirit, which we felt here today, amen, has brought us to Mount Zion. That's Hebrews chapter 12. We'll get there in a couple weeks as well. We do not have to approach God as Moses and the people of Israel approached Mount Sinai with fear and dread. The new covenant outlines the breaking of the barriers of fear. The breakings of the barriers of dread and even death so we can come boldly into his presence. If you're not familiar with the veil, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the big heavy veil that separated the holy of holies from the most holy place and, and, and represented where they would go in once a year with a rope. A priest, the high priest would go in once a year with a rope tied around them just in case they died in the presence of God for the redemption of the people of Israel. And when Jesus Christ spoke his last words and everything went dark, the, that great heavy veil rent. And it's important to understand that it tore. Yes, it was torn, but... It's important to understand that it tore from top to bottom. That he was the one who made a way for you to commune with him. In that tearing apart, he was inviting you in. The Holy Spirit came and dwelt among us. And we sense his presence. And even Jesus himself said that it was better that he goes than that the Holy Spirit would come. What we attempted to accomplish through the old covenant by our own efforts, God laid upon his son, invited us into relationship with him. And that is personal. That is deep. It is not based in fear, but in love and perfect justice. Hebrews, if you go across to chapter 3, 3 and 4, it kind of talks a little bit about this. And I'll expound on this in the next couple of weeks. But it says, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. Just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant of God, of all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken 
by God in the future, but Christ is, defeat, is, defeat, is faithful as the Son over God's house. And we are His house if indeed we hold firmly to the confidence that we have in the hope in which we glory. He says Moses was faithful in God's house. But the new covenant reminds us that Christ is over God's house. Because this is true, we are God's house. Lastly this morning, better inspires humility. To understand better in the New, in the New Testament in Hebrews, yes, the NIV uses the word superior and it's completely accurate. I agree with that translation. It is superior, but we don't like using these big words because it makes us uncomfortable. The reality is Jesus is better in every way. And usually when we're talking about being better, or somebody's talking about being better, especially when they talk about themselves, you know, we, we get this idea of conceit, not humility. But the understanding of better in the New Testament in Hebrews is that it inspires humility. When you realize what Jesus has done, there is no room for any Christian to be anything but humble. How can we ever assume we are better than anyone else after reading Philippians chapter 2? Listen to me this morning because I'm saying this because we got to understand this morning that there is a problem in society where people believe that Christians have a superiority complex and I'm not going to let us off the hook. It's our own fault. It's what we communicate when we're not careful. It's what we communicate when we do things when they're not done in love, with passion and compassion. And we need to understand this morning that there's a large portion of society that does not look at the church as, as humble. Because they look on TV sometimes and it's not what they see. Or they look on social media and it's not what they see. But I'm telling you, there is only one posture that a Christian can find themselves in. When they stand before the God of all creation, it's humility. And when you stand before someone who needs Jesus, humble yourself. Get off your soapbox for a minute. Humble yourself. You might have to go down in the ditch where they are. You might have to just climb right on in their mess. That's what Jesus did. All because he created beauty. Didn't mean he wasn't willing, when, willing later when we made it a mess to come down into it. There's no room for me, Peter, to feel superior, but to understand Jesus as superior, as being better, inspires in me humility. It inspires in me a humble position. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. And listen to these first six words in your relationships with one another. I don't know if we focus enough on those words in this passage. But again, I told you before that list at the beginning of 15 things, meditating, that's a phrase you need to meditate on. 
Because we, well, a lot of times, you know, a lot of Christians, you know, will focus on, on this relationship, this vertical relationship, but this horizontal relationship. I don't understand how you can have such a vertical relationship and not let it affect your horizontal. But there's Christians, you don't treat Christians very kind sometimes. And yes, I will publicly say that I pray for Israel and I feel for Israel, but I also feel for the broken, hurting families on all sides. I'm looking at the hurt and the destruction and I'm like, Jesus, come. I don't want to see anybody. I just, the death bothers me. I understand that Israel is God's chosen people. I understand I'm reading Hebrew scriptures. But when I look over there, man, I humble myself and I say, Jesus, come. You know, save Palestinian families. Save Israeli families. Heal the sick. Shine a light in there somehow. Jesus, come. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. He calls us to something better, does he not? He calls us to a higher thinking. I believe it's Isaiah 55 that says that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He calls us to a greater wisdom. He says in verse 6, he's who being the very, in very nature God, there's no questioning, Jesus was God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. This is the example we have. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death, the excruciating, painful, unbelievably heinous death on the cross. Emphasis mine. <laughs> Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Understand that Jesus is better Understanding that Jesus better destroys any ideas we have of superiority. There's no room for it. To think that anyone is better than anyone else is not an identifying characteristic of a follower of Christ, or at least it shouldn't be. To stand in the presence of the one who created us and loved us enough to make himself nothing and suffer the humiliation of the cross for each one of us can only be a gift, unearned, undeserved, free, and it is for everyone. And we don't get to discriminate against who hears it and who doesn't. Better levels the playing field for all of us because it exposes the need that exists in every person. That is the need for redemption. That is the need for a savior. I think we use this word redeem too lightly in society. We say that somebody does something and completely redeems himself. Oh boy, I don't know about that. But this redemption that he offers is a free gift. And only the one who created can redeem. And when I stand in the presence of a God who I understand 
so much better, so much more excellent in every way than all the amazing scriptures we read in the Old Testament from the prophets, the lawgivers, all the amazing things we, we see and we experience from the psalmist and we read and we understand all the great things. They did great things. I told you last week about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who stood up for God and stood in fire. And God delivered them. They did great things, but they pale in comparison to the one who was standing in the fire with them. He is so much better. And I believe that when we humble ourselves, when we listen, when we love people who feel like they probably don't deserve to be loved, we're showing them a better way. Amen? We're going to sing this song together. We're going to worship. Just take some time. Contemplate what you've heard this morning. Hopefully it's challenging for you. Hopefully it's encouraging to you. We're just going to worship God and allow the Holy Spirit to seal this into our hearts. i got to tell you, as a minister, sometimes you know the enemy will come in and say, yeah, whatever you said on Sunday, they'll, there's, there's a, I got this invisible wall at the door that when they walk out the building, they forget it all. Don't let that be true. <laughs> Trust the Holy Spirit when he speaks to you this week and he says, you know, he shows you that person who's in need to go show them the love of Jesus Christ. Humble yourself. Speak to them with kindness mercy and grace all the things he gave you free amen let's just worship him as we close this morning